This is Fortress on a Hill. Thank you for joining us. I'm Henry. And I'm Danny. We're here to tear apart recent stories about our nation's armed forces and our veterans. We hope you'll take a critical look at what's happening with our military. And we hope you enjoy the show. Now, let's get started. study about blast pressure when using crew-served weapons. A new study commissioned by the Army shows that blast pressure of crew-served weapons to include 50 cals, the Carl Gustav uh, rocket launcher, and the AT-4, which is another kind of anti-vehicle rocket launcher, can damage service members' cognitive abilities. Um, They said that they have experienced problems with memory loss and with decision-making. The report comes from the Center for New American Security and it discusses how up until this point, heavy weapons damage from, um, as far as gunners actually getting that, has, hasn't really been studied, it hasn't really been analyzed. Um, most other studies have focused entirely on IED blasts and the other explosions caused by enemy fighters, like uh, getting hit with or near an RPG strike. This fits together with recent reports on NFL players that routine hits and tackles can cause trauma over a long period of time. It can't simply be that only combat or specific types of training are damaging to service members' brains. The ordinary trip to the range, like throwing a live hand grenade, which I've thrown to in training, or shooting a 50 cal or a Mark 19, can be really damaging in succession if gunners aren't given enough recovery time following a, a trip to the range. The article also referenced a 2008 study in the Journal of Neurotrauma which used pigs and rats to analyze the blast effects and the blast overpressure from different shoulder-fired mounted weapons, which found that damage could be made with as little as three shots from a heavy weapon. And remembering, you know, like the two, you know, the 50 cal and the Mark 19, these are crew surfs. These are things that have either grenades or really big bullet or rounds on the end of a belt. So how in the world would you ever just do three rounds of those to... Now, here's the funny part, and Danny, you'll, you'll, you'll like this. The report recommends that DOD immediately amend the daily firing limits for service members shooting these heavy weapons below the threshold that can cause cognitive problems. It can take up to 96 hours for service members to return to their baseline follow, following use of these weapons. And it's important to point out that the daily 24-hour maximum DOD guidelines currently only are designated to notice one heavy heavy weapon fired, not multiple, which is, sorry, is something that I also did a lot in training. On a single day, you might shoot a 50 cal, a Mark 19, uh, a saw, which is a smaller uh, light machine gun, in a short period of time. Certainly not long enough to ensure that the blast pressure you were exposed to didn't cause the person any damage. The report also suggested to establish annual and lifetime exposure limits for all heavy weapons used. You know, it's funny you mentioned the use of multiple weapon systems in a single day. I mean, I I was in the CAV, you know, I was in the Calvary, which is uh, basically light reconnaissance. And we have lots of crew serve weapons because we we have to have a decent amount of firepower in order to break contact if the enemy finds us. And uh, that's part of the job. And so we used to do like crew serve weapon days, like gunnery days, plural, where 
in a single day, you know, your your crew and even the officer would have to get up and do certain tables would would fire, you know, like you said, we you'd go to the Mark 19, you'd qualify there, and then you'd immediately like switch to the next station, and now you got to fire the 50 cal, yep. and then you'd like switch to the next station, and you know now it's um, a light machine gun like the saw or, or or something like that, and yeah, this is this is normal business. Like the the, the fact this is dangerous, it, it really I love that NFL analogy that you brought up because. You know, a lot of people thought it was only the really bad hits. It was only the, you know, the uh, receivers that were vulnerable and got hit from an angle that they didn't expect. Uh, that's how we used to view the NFL. Like, those were the only dangerous hits. And then we come to find out that uh, actually just the daily blocking and tackling that goes on in a game is itself traumatic. And I don't know what the answer to this is, but I know it's something we got to pay attention to. I also thought about when talking about doing uh, days at the range about you also have coaches. Most people that are on the range have a coach, an NCO or a senior soldier to help a new soldier learn how to shoot. So certainly that coach, that NCO is going to receive the same blast damage as the gunner because they're right next to the weapon. Then you also have range safeties, both officers and NCOs walking around, and sometimes they're right next to it. In fact, we have some weapons that a range safety literally stands next to you while you do the whole mm -hmm. table to make sure it's safe. And it's a good thing that they do, but that's a third person to the same blast damage. Now, this whole thing is on the tail end of a report from the San Francisco Veterans Affairs Healthcare System, which examined 350,000 veterans of Iraq and Afghanistan, whether they had ever gotten a TBI, a traumatic brain injury, and their collective risk of dementia based on that information. 15 to 20% of all Operation Iraqi Freedom, uh, Operation Enduring Freedom, Iraq and Afghanistan veterans received a TBI in their time overseas. The report says that the control group of veterans they established, those guys with no TBIs, had a 2.6% chance of getting dementia. Veterans with TBIs was 6.1, almost twice as much compared to soldiers who didn't get a TBI. And remember, mm. what we're talking about here is that it's also the long cumulative effect and not just big blasts. So we need to turn some of these studies into doing it like that and maybe pick specific people who are serving and try to understand. You know, there may be more damaging weapons, there may be less, but all of them seem to cause damage. Please consider this when discussing military service with other people. People need to understand the full risk that they take doing training in the military, let alone being in combat. I've mentioned to people a lot of times that, you know, in times of peacetime, prior uh, pre-9-11, most people that died in military service died in some form of training. It's because it's dangerous. We can't get around some of that. We take lots of their safety assessments and certain things that we go to to, to minimize the risk, but the bottom line is, is you're going to be in danger even if you never get into combat. I know the training schedule that I did prior to both deployments had ranges all crammed together. You know, you'd have weeks mm -hmm. of them or multiple weeks of them. So just try to you know, get in there, get it done, and then move on to some other training. But I would presume that trying to adjust the military's training schedule to accommodate these rep uh, recommendations, excuse me, would be laughed at by top brass. What do you think about that, Danny? Oh, I'm sure. I mean, part of the reason that you and I did so much range training in such a consolidated period is because we were deploying on and off every year. And so in order to give people some time off between deployments, uh, and to train the litany of tasks that you have to train in order to be prepared to fight counterinsurgency, you know, there, time was short. You try to give your soldiers weekends off whenever possible, so now you've got to really cram in that training. And 
You're right. The problem is a lot of people are going to read this report. A lot of like officers, especially a lot of like infantry guys, you know, like hard knuckled, just, you know, warriors are going to read it and say, well, we just got to train, you know, like this is, you know, what are we pussies? Like we yep. got, you know, we're, we just got to put up with it. Yep, you know, like, yep. how, you know, we, we can't do it any differently. And, you know, that's the same mentality you did here in the NFL from a lot of fans and a lot of like management, which was like, well, that's the game. You know, that's the game. And, you know, we need to get past that. We need to be smarter than that. Um, we we have to take this stuff seriously because the military is a dangerous job, whether you've got a combat patch or not, whether you've been deployed or not. It is a dangerous profession, handling dangerous equipment under dangerous conditions, often at night under night vision goggles. You know, anything could happen. Vehicles flip. Mistakes are made with weapons. Now we're finding out that just the blast from these cruiser weapons can come cause uh, major trauma I mean, we have to take all this very seriously we have to rethink training and do it smartly okay uh doesn't mean we have to stop training it means we have to uh, train in an intelligent manner uh and if necessary take a longer amount of time to do the training and slow down these deployments because we cannot be putting ourselves at risk in peacetime unnecessarily absolutely there's also, um, I'm sure that the military has much more of them now, but I did uh, a couple digital ranges before I got out. And they were essentially, think of a big virtual reality room, and on the far wall it has a range. You're actually like, you're looking down a field that has targets set up, and you're able to fire. The weapons feel like they have the actual recoil, but you're not getting the blast. The sound is very decreased. There's nothing, no actual round goes off. So I could see that being advantageous in certain areas. Certainly it wouldn't cover, you know, doing a full firing table for saw gunners or 50 cal gunners, but it's something that could help in certain places. Absolutely. Uh, I got one, one last thing about this I wanted to mention. Um, Matthew Ho, uh, a friend of the podcast and uh, former uh, Afghanistan State Department whistleblower, um, he's been diagnosed with head trauma from his time in the Marine Corps. And I've linked below in the show notes to a recent blog post that Matthew made where he breaks down his head injuries and how they greatly impact his life. And if you're interested in a more open and honest discussion about living with head trauma, about understanding, you know, if you're parents and you're thinking about what you're going to advise your kids on joining the military, please come and read Matt's thing because it's, it's very illuminating on the things he deals with. Nasty headaches, migraines, dizziness, all kinds of stuff that we don't, that don't get talked about as much as other um, um, other issues for veterans. I'm, uh, he also mentioned a, uh, he also did a video where he talks about the idea of suicide caused by moral injury versus being caused by PTSD. And so I don't, it's a long, it's a big subject to go into that. So please go to his site, go to, it's uh, matthewho.com and I'll link it at the bottom as well. Um, I'm also working on an article on uh, moral injury right now. Um, so keep an eye out for that. Yeah, that's awesome. Matt Ho is a great friend of the pod. We're definitely going to have him back on. Uh, this guy's doing uh, courageous work, and I'm glad you're going to link to it in the show notes because uh, I really want our listeners to, to dig into this issue because it's rather important. Absolutely. All right, well, listen, my final topic, and this is not going to surprise our dedicated listeners, is Afghanistan. I realize that I'm veritably obsessed with Afghanistan. Uh, I served there. I lost soldiers there. I was there in 2011 and 12, and I am appalled that we are still there and that we are accomplishing even less. 
Don't take my word for it, though. This week, um, a Pentagon audit, okay, by a watchdog agency called the Special Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction, or SIGAR, okay, a quarterly report published by John Sopko, has essentially told us for certain, objectively, with empirical evidence that the Afghan war is not being won. This came right after a double suicide bombing in Kabul that killed 31 people, including like 10 journalists. And this report, and this is important, it conflicts, okay? It, it, it directly contrasts with the, all the optimism you're hearing from our senior military officers. General Dunford, Defense Secretary Mattis, Nicholson, these guys have been telling us, telling Congress, telling the American people that we're, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, you know, we're going to turn a corner, all these platitudes. Well, the, specter, the Special Inspector General disagrees. Are you ready for a few uncomfortable but telling statistics? Here are just a few that are buried in the 262-page report. Okay, the Afghan economy measured in GDP stopped growing in 2012 when I was in Afghanistan, and it has since actually retrenched. In other words, it has shrunk. So we are not succeeding in building the Afghan economy. And oh, by the way, military power stems straight from your economy. We've put 126 billion U.S. tax dollars into relief and reconstruction investment. And still, after 17 years, less than a third of Afghans are actually connected to a power grid, meaning they live in darkness. The economic gains that we have seen in Afghanistan, which are limited, aren't even sustainable because the Afghan GDP is so reliant on foreign aid that once we leave – if we ever do, we being the West or NATO or the United States primarily, the Afghan government can't hold itself. It can't fund itself. It is reliant on persistent foreign aid. It does not help itself. Okay? The religious folks out there, I hear this all the time. God helps those who help themselves. That's not happening in Afghanistan. They're letting us do the work. That government is largely illegitimate. And the country remains usually unstable. After 17 years... There were still more security incidents, meaning more enemy attacks, last year than ever recorded before. So things have gotten worse in 17 years. Suicide attacks were up 50% in 2017. America has already spent $8.7 billion trying to reduce narcotics in Afghanistan since 2002. And what happened? You guessed it. The crop of opium grew by 63% in 2017 and is now the largest – the largest crop of opium, which becomes heroin, in the history of Afghanistan, despite all our efforts. Totally counterproductive. Jesus. Only 65% 60, only of the people in Afghanistan even live in areas that are under government control, meaning 35% live under the Taliban. Quote from the report. This, 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 this is all you need to know, guys. The quote from the Special Inspector General for Afghan Reconstruction. This is, this is the military's watchdog. This is not a bunch of, like, hippies running around trying to make the war look bad. This is what they concluded. Quote, the overall trend for the insurgency is rising control over the population. Let me put that into plain English. Overall, shit is getting worse and Taliban controls more. And that's in 2017. We have 15,000-ish soldiers in Afghanistan right now. When I was there, we had about 120,000. And we still couldn't win because 120,000 is not enough to remake a society that doesn't want to remake itself. 
it's not enough soldiers to make a government legitimate. It's not enough soldiers to improve the economy or to make the police be less corrupt or convince the Afghan army not to desert in record numbers as they have been. What if the mission in Afghanistan is not winnable? What if it never was? What if we should what if we've asked the impossible of our soldiers and then been quick to blame people as to why it hasn't happened yet? Maybe the entire concept was flawed from the start. People forget there are Americans still dying in Afghanistan. Sure, it's in much smaller numbers. When I was there, we were losing almost 100 a month, but that's because we had 100,000 on the ground. But we're still losing soldiers, even though we're not doing combat operations, right? We're advising and assisting. Well, advising and assisting is pretty fucking dangerous. In 2017, 11 American troops were killed and 102 were wounded. Okay, This year, just so far, in the first four months or five months of this year, because I think the report was dated May 1st, two killed and 22 wounded in Afghanistan in 2018 up to that point. I mean, what do we tell those kids' parents or wives, the 11 soldiers that were killed in 2017? What do we tell them? Your son died? to prop up an illegitimate government, and oh, by the way, he failed. It's not his fault. The entire mission failed. The entire mission was impossible. It was never what are we supposed to tell place. these kids? I'm lost. I, I, you were an NCO. You led troops. I was a commander. I commanded troops. For me, I knew that my time in the Army was coming to a close. I knew that my career was coming to a close when I wasn't I knew that I couldn't look a mother or a wife in the eye and explain to them what their son had done for me in Afghanistan, for the, for the country. We're losing in Afghanistan, and it's year 17. How long do we continue throwing American blood and American treasure into a pit? We've spent nearly a trillion dollars on Afghanistan so far. You know what we would have been better off? We would have been better off if we dug an entire, like a huge pit in the middle of Montana and took bulldozers and pushed a trillion American tax dollars into the hole and then just buried it. That would have been a better use of our money than what we've done in Afghanistan because all that money and all that blood spilt in Afghanistan has made things only worse or at least has failed to make them better. And the watchdog agency for the United States military says so. Don't take my word for it. Don't take some hippie on the street's word for it. This is the Special Inspector General for Afghan Reconstruction, SEGAR. Read the report, guys. It's like 278 pages. You're not going to read the whole thing. There's an executive summary. Just Google it. Just Google SIGAR, S-I-G-A-R, Afghanistan, and just read the highlights in, in, in a news article. This is the biggest story to me in, in the war on terror right now is the continuing failure of America's longest war. Think about that. America's longest war, and it's failing. And we need to scream it from the rooftops. I I, <clears throat> I was picturing for myself the stack the stack of failed wars failed interventions just post 9/11. Um, I had a I posted a memo on my, my Facebook this last week and it was discussing about the number of countries that the U.S. has invaded and in, in a different column it had the number of countries that Iran has invaded <laughs> and Iran hasn't invaded anybody whereas since 1953 the U.S. has invaded uh, let's say three dozen countries. Um, and, I, and I'm pretty sure I'm wrong, wrong on that number. So it, 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 it's never an isolated thing. None of these are winnable wars, but none of them are worthwhile wars, even in a losing battle. 
You know, you and I could go through history and actually find times where people needed to fight for what was theirs. None of this shit qualifies. None of this shit qualifies as protecting Americans. All it does is bring more Americans home in body bags. You're absolutely right. We're fighting mostly illiterate farmers in Afghanistan. You know, I've written a million articles on this subject. I'm actually getting sick of writing them. It's taking me to a dark place. But we are mostly fighting local battles with local drug dealers, local criminals, and local insurgents who are just illiterate, unemployed farm boys. These aren't transnational al-Qaeda terrorists planning 9-11 in Hamburg, Germany, and in Florida, and California. This is not sophisticated. This is us getting involved in a local conflict we can't win. It's us trying to socially engineer a society that is in the 13th century and trying to make it look like the United States circa you know, 2005. It can't be done, guys. Don't ask our military to do it. And if you do ask them to do it, resource them accordingly. You're going to need a million troops in Afghanistan indefinitely Yep. if you want to secure that place. Do we have that kind of will? No. So what do we do? Half measures. Half measures indefinitely. Dead soldiers. Dead Afghan civilians. They matter too, right? Everyone's equal in the eyes of God, right? If, if all human life is equally valuable, we should be talking about those deaths too. And I'll tell you, there's tens of thousands of those in comparison to the 11 Americans. And they're both tragedies. Both of them are tragedies. Pay attention, folks. Pay attention. Be a citizen. Get involved. Make some calls. You'll feel better afterwards. You really will. You may not solve anything, but you'll feel like at least I was active. At least I took a stand on the important issues of my generation. And I'll tell you what, one of the most important issues of our generation is the failed war in Afghanistan. And it is not ending anytime soon. No. I'll tell you one other thing. When Secretary of Defense Mattis goes on TV, when General Dunford goes on TV and they tell you there's a light at the end of the tunnel, do not believe it. Do not believe it because the evidence is there. The evidence is in writing, 278 pages of it. This is a quarterly report. I bet your ass the next quarterly report is going to be just as bleak. Absolutely. I, I, I'm with you. I, I, I just get sick of reading about it. So I, I have a little more, little more connection to the Iraq war in that way. But, but it's, it's, all the same, it's all the same collective choice to carry our will to some other part of the world that doesn't want it. All of these things can be traced back to that basic idea. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. All right, guys, uh, my last headline for today is uh, about a new report that came out recently showing that 126 DOD installations have contaminated water sites at or above the EPA's threshold for certain chemicals. Um, and this is from uh, a uh, Military Times article. I can't I misplaced the author's name for a second. Um, the water at or around 126 military installations contains potentially harmful levels of perfluorinated co compounds, which have been linked to cancers and developmental delays for fetuses and infants, the Pentagon has found. In a March report provided to the House Armed Services Committee, the Pentagon for the first time publicly listed the full scope of the known contamination. DOD identified 401 active and base closure and realignment installations. That just means that they're slotted to be closed sometime soon. In the U.S., with at least one area that was a known or suspected release of per perfluorinated compounds. Um, this include 36 sites with drinking water contamination on base, more than 90 sites that reported either on or off base drinking water or groundwater contamination, and all of which tested above the EPA's acceptable levels of 
perfluorooctane sulfonate or perfluorooctanic acid, also known as PFOS and PFOAs. The, main, the man-made chemical, which is used to make items heat or water resistant, are found in everyday household food and clothing items, even takeout food wrappers. One key here, and we're going to get into this in just a second to understand, is that military bases have different requirements when it comes to fire and rescue, especially when you're dealing with an airfield. Because if an airplane catches on fire, it's going to burn at a temp much hotter than most normal firefighting stuff could help. Water doesn't help very much, so they have to use very specific stuff. Now, it's concentrated in a foam that is used to put out aircraft fires. Um, that brings me to a recent article by, at, uh, Sharon, by Sharon Lerner at The Intercept, which discussed that the U.S. military is in the process of replacing all of their toxic firefighting foam with, drumroll please, more fucking toxic firefighting foam. It said, while some of the precise formulations that cause the contamination are off the table, the U.S. military is in the midst of an expensive effort to replace older foam with a newer formulation that contains only slightly tweaked versions of the same problematic compounds. Though marketed as environmentally responsible, this new foam contains PFAS chemicals based on slightly shorter carbon change, six as opposed to eight atoms. While many of the shorter compounds exit the human body more quickly, they still accumulate in blood and other tissues. And like the longer compounds that have been the focus of environmental concerns around the country and around the world, these shorter molecules will persist indefinitely in the environment and will never break down on their own. Now, while Military Times stated that the services are working to replace all the firefighting foam with some kind of a non-toxic sub substitute, the Intercept stated clearly that the current replacement is almost the same as the old one. And while the services may have a better long-term plan, what could serve as a replacement in the meantime that would allow firefighters to put out these incredible fires? As I mentioned earlier about the whole jet fuel thing, so it, it's a reasonable idea for them to have something special for their needs, just not one that poisons and kills a bunch of people. There are also a few DOD installations that require local water authorities to provide water for their work sites. These authorities have declined to do anything related to the cleanup of this stuff, as EPA regulations on this matter are not enforceable. I'm going to say that again. EPA regulations on these chemicals I'm mentioning are not actually enforceable. Now, the lion's share of these poison sites are managed by DOD, and DOD is taking active steps to make changes, including providing people bottled water and filters for their faucets. But the civilian control side of these water sources can't be enforced based on what I've shared. Danny, we've talked before about, um, about military infrastructure and on bases and how they are controlled and built differently, or so we're told, and how incidences of poor construction or failure to properly reinforce something that could contain these substances. I'm thinking right now of the massive fire they had at Fort Hood that <coughs> when a gas line broke, permanently scarring the eight Marines and the corpsmen that were stuck in a ditch inside their LAV. What I'm seeing here is how civilian business interests have protected water contamination through lobbying the government. And yet our government doesn't even have the authority to tell these towns, not just to clean it up, but to acknowledge the damage that has been done. The whole story just really has my wheels spinning about all the different places that DOD could use or will use this horrible foam. I'm thinking of Air Force bases, which by and large in the report are the most polluted and most common to be polluted followed by Navy and Marine Corps air stations, which have a shit ton of their own aircraft of a variety of kinds, 
And then lastly, but certainly not least, it's far, it's just in the numbers, are army installations, which most major army posts are attached to or nearby an army airfield, where our, where the Air Force comes and takes us to deploy, where our airborne guys train, where Chinooks do their training to take troops from one area to another. It's, it, it's everywhere. It's at most major places. They have aircraft, which means they have this stupid foam. But no matter what, wherever this foam goes, whether on, used on an aircraft carrier or we took it to Iraq and Afghanistan and it's set up at a temporary airfield there or just here at home, there are service members whose job it is to use this foam. And my last little tidbit on this for today, the Associated Press has stated that the Air Force is not going to reimburse two Colorado towns for funds spent on removing toxic waste caused by this same foam to the tune of $11 million. So they know exactly how bad it is, and they know that it's giving soldiers, airmen, marines, anybody that works on a flight line cancer and exposing them. And, and pilots and, and us, how many times have you stood on an airfield for hours, Danny, waiting to get oh, on a plane? Course. Yeah. So, no, it's just, it's fucking mind-blowing. It's, it's such an interesting story. You know, you're talking about dirty water and talking about these, these issues that don't even make it into the mainstream press because we're so focused on the minutia of the president's latest tweet. There was this big controversy at the White House Correspondents' Dinner, of course, right? Comedian Michelle Wolf was just scathing and I thought hilarious. Oh, yeah. In her take on just like the administration and the media and just how everyone's complicit in this. And like... To me, the most important thing she said was the last thing she said, and it was the one that was least controversial but should have been most controversial. At the very end of her set, she said, Flint still doesn't have clean water, meaning Flint, Michigan, after like over a year of people just drinking and bathing in just disgusting water. And that, that – no one got upset about that. You know, Everyone was like, oh, did she make fun of Sarah Huckabee Sanders' looks? Who gives a shit? Yeah. Flint doesn't have clean water. Okay? And what you've told us today is American military bases don't have clean water, right? They're, the contamination – we can't lobby. A PFC in the military doesn't have either the funds or the power to like lobby his congressman for better water in his area. But you know who can lobby congressmen? Multinational conglomerations and corporations exactly. who have an interest in making sure Congress does not regulate the water flow and the pollution that goes on. This is a this is a story about unequal power. And 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 the fact that American soldiers who we put on such a pedestal are being forced to live and work uh, with with dirty water, contaminated water and other substances is uh, it's a national tragedy. And uh, and you won't hear about it. You won't hear about it on Fox News, but you know where you also you won't hear about it on MSNBC either. Nope. So it's not about liberal conservative; it's about mainstream uh, news in general, and it's so focused on Trump and Russia and you name it and Stormy Daniels that it, there's no room for your story. If you want to hear it, you got to listen to Fortress on a Hill, or you got to go to the Intercept. Yep. You got to go to some other outlet that's outside the mainstream. Truth Dig, Tom Dispatch, The Nation. Yeah, that's where you've got to go, and I encourage all of our uh, listeners and readers of, of, of my own work and Henry's work, look at and dig into these sources. Forget about CNN.com. They're going to give you some cursory bullshit. You've got to dig further. You've got to go find the real investigative reporting that's out there. Okay, You've got to sift through the fake news and sift through the bullshit and find the really valuable writers. Find writers you trust, find outlets you trust, and just keep going back to them. I think the harshest point to me about this story 
bring going back to what you mentioned about Flint is that this really lays it out there exactly how our government sees military service. Because if, it, if there was a difference, like you said, if there was that pedestal difference, we wouldn't be talking about this. Soldiers water would be fine. But, and it's not just them. It's about low-income people. And newsflash folks, a lot of people in the military are low-income people. They are people of modest means, and they don't have the ability to, 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 to fight any of this, to go after any of this. But it's because military bases always built on the shittiest places, always, and, and it, it, but it is about that key. That's how they really feel about enlisted soldiers, because if they didn't, it would be different. There would be, we, we could actually sit here and say, yes, they worked on this. And at least for those soldiers, poor people in Flint, you know, poor people in Flint and New Orleans still have nasty water, but at least they took care of that. So even their, their, their moral attachment that, that they want us all to have to soldiers and put them on that high spot, it's all bullshit. It's absolutely all bullshit. You know, something, what is it, about 25 or 30 percent of military service members are on some form of government assistance like food stamps. Yep. You know, people don't know that. People don't know that. We still pay privates in the army like 25 grand a year. I mean, come on. Come on, guys. What are we doing? Guys are getting bonuses. Failing corporations that rob the American people of their pensions get golden parachute you know, uh, bonuses in the, in the tens of millions of dollars, and there's no clean water in Flint, and there are soldiers in shitty outposts with bad water. Yep. This is a national tragedy. And as I always say... It's on us. It's got to be a groundswell. It's got to be the people. The system is not built to be responsive to us. We have to claim back the system and make it work for us because no one's doing it for us. Okay? We have to step up. We have to make calls. We have to lobby. We have to hold signs. We got to bring out the pink pussy hats. I don't care what you do. Get ready to protest because that's the only way. Absolutely. Absolutely. I got one more little uh, note here I wanted to mention for something I'm a topic I'm working on for the next episode. Um, it involves a ProPublica investigation into former and current U.S. military members being affiliated with Adam Waffen, a neo-Nazi extremist group. And from what I've read, it, it is considered to be the most extreme group we have here in the U.S. Um, of the many white supremacist organizations that have sprung up the last few years, it's among the most extreme, espousing the overthrow of the U.S. government through acts of political violence and guerrilla warfare. Um, so I'm gonna, we're going to plan to do this full breakdown next time, guys, but um, we have, uh, we'd, we'd covered this before. It's definitely, there's, there's some definite white supremacy issues within the U.S. military that need to be covered, but it hasn't been exposed as this bad yet. So keep an ear out for that for uh, next episode. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to talk that in some more depth. We're going to talk about intelligence community, and uh, we're hoping to have uh, on our next uh, episode a, a really great interview with Tom Engelhart, uh, the the founder and leader of TomDispatch.com, the first person to publish any of my work. Okay, so the guy that brought me into the publishing world and really changed my life and turned me into a writer. Okay, and gave me that opportunity to do it. So uh, Tom Engelhart. Um, Throw him into the Google. think he's even got a Wikipedia page, so you know he's important. And uh, we're going to have a really great conversation with him. So, look, stay tuned. There's more coming. We're going to be more regular with our episodes, and uh, we're just going to keep coming down every week with more and more important stuff. Thank you guys so much for joining us. And if you find any news, anything that you think we need to talk about, please send us an email, fortressonahill.com. Or, excuse me, fortressonahill at gmail.com. Ah. Sounds great. All right. Have a good one, guys. We'll see you soon. See ya.
Thank you for joining us today. Please come join the conversation at www.fortressonahill.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Fortress on a Hill or on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash Fortress on a Hill. We want to hear from our listeners about the topics and issues pertinent to America's military and veteran communities. And last but certainly not least, analyze your news and its sources very closely. Verify everything you read. And remember that no one, no matter how powerful, are above criticism, especially those with the power to send others into harm's way. We'll see you next time.